Sego and welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane. I am your host. And uh, oh man, I just this is a this is a tough one. I racked my brain to um, to really nail down what I wanted for a topic today. And and of course, it's it's hard to think about what else to talk about when you know that the constant drumbeat after the you know the mass killing in buffalo and now this mass killing in uh uvalde texas um yeah, I mean, it's hard to get out of that funk and so i i guess i've got to talk about some of that and i've got to talk about the frustration um anger uh the helplessness that that many people feel because there doesn't ever seem to be any real willingness. I mean, there's some, I mean, there's some willingness. I mean, there's, there's always going to be an effort by some to, to affect some change, but most of that change never really gets to the, to the real issue. So, um, before I get into it too much and I do have something, I, I, I've got a story I want to, um, bring up a story that I read when I was in, I want to say high school, but it might even been before that, but I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, as we get going here, but first let me let me um, you know let me welcome the the folks in New York and in Washington. Uh, I've been off the air in, uh, in New York City on WBAI for a couple of weeks uh, because of uh, other fundraising efforts and that kind of stuff. So, uh, New York City, it's uh, it's great to have you back. Um, if you are in New York City listening to us on WBAI, I hope that you will support the station. I know they've they've been doing doing some sort of fundraising. For the last two weeks without me, um, that's not to say that I'm not still plugging for you guys. And so, uh, if you're listening in New York on WBAI, I hope that you'll go to the pledge line, go to two one two two zero nine two nine five zero, or go online to give to wbai.org and make a contribution. Um, become a BAI buddy. That's essentially becoming a sustaining member uh, of the station. Uh, give your credit card information or your checking account information and uh, let a monthly deduction come out and let it, you know, it could be small, uh, but if we know that it's there and we can count on it each month, then you become really a part of our process. Uh, if you're listening in, in Washington, D.C. on WPFW, I hope you go to that pledge line, which is 202-588-9739. That's 202-588-9739. Or go online to WPFWFM.org and, again, make a contribution, whatever you can do. Uh, and look, we, we've come out of some of the, you know, the, the, the economy that got busted because of COVID. And I know the prices of everything have, have gone up, but the price of this hasn't gone up. It only goes up if you're willing to make a contribution. If you're willing to dig in your pockets to make a contribution to, this, to these radio stations, then, uh, then you then you actually take ownership. You actually have a say. You become you know a voting member uh, as as listeners on uh, you know on putting uh, putting board members up and that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I do ask that you that you make a contribution and support these uh, these radio stations. And I hope that you'll do it in the name of this show. Uh, let let management know that you listen to this program. You. Um, may not always agree with the uh, position that I take on things, the views that I offer, 
And that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to win people over. I'm just trying to offer a perspective that you haven't heard before. And maybe it'll make you think a little bit. Maybe it'll challenge what you've already um, thought, uh, how you've already viewed things. Um, and maybe it doesn't. Maybe it'll uh, you know, affirm a little bit of, uh, of what you were thinking. Or maybe, maybe I just put words to something that you never quite verbalized before. But, and that's, that's the goal. That's the hope that, um, you know, that this show uh, will do that. It'll, it'll stimulate some thought, maybe expand this notion of critical thinking a little bit. So that's, that's, what we, that's what I hope to do here. All right. So when I was in school, and again, I want to say it was, I don't think it was high school. It might have been like junior high or maybe, maybe even earlier that. We read a story called The Lottery. And this, this short story was written by Shirley Jackson. And it was first published in 1948. And as you're reading it, you, you get this, this sense. And, you know, of course, it's a short story. So it doesn't take long for you to start feeling the tension of the story. Um, and what the story was about was this, this idea of a lottery. And you're not quite sure what, what happens when you win the lottery. And, and there's never a real good explanation on what the purpose of the lottery is for. I mean, is it for good luck? There was some sense that you, you know, that it might have had to do with, you know, perhaps bringing in a good harvest, maybe. And that might be a superstition that was developed, you know, through the course of this fictitious lottery. Um, you know, somehow doing this would bring prosperity. But, the, you know, and, they, and they, the story goes through the detailed process, not only of selecting, you know, who, uh, who is chosen in this lottery, but even what the kids are doing in preparation and, and what the kids are doing is they're, they're lining up stones at the end of the day, or at the end of the story, I should say the, the person who is selected in the lottery gets stoned to death. And, you know, and, and there's, there's talk about what other towns, you know, had, you know, that may have dropped this practice. Um, and, and that there's some tension within the community that maybe they should do away with it. But I thought of this story today because, you know, I can't help but think that life in the United States is is that lottery. I mean, look, there's no de defined process for who gets selected to die in front of their, their community, but it happens. The, the biggest issue is that there's no sustained will to get rid of the lottery. So whether... You win this lottery, you're selected this lottery in a Topps grocery store in Buffalo or an elementary school in, you know, Connecticut or in, in uh, Texas. It's, it's like, it, it just happens. And, and it happens for a variety of reasons. I mean, and, and one of the things that, that happens every time one of these terrible tragedies happen is everybody's, well, look, what's the motive? Why did it happen? Well, at some at some level, the motive doesn't even matter because obviously, you know this this idea that that a person, and in in these last two instances, a, a kid only eighteen years old, can walk into a gun store and buy an assault rifle. Whether it's in New York or whether it's in Texas, obviously co completely different kinds of gun laws, but either way, it, it, it they're just totally accessible, and then you know can find it within himself and within 
the society that shaped him to bring him to the point where mass murder seems like a good thing to do. Or, or good is the wrong word, perhaps, because, you know, I know, you know the, the much of society is always divided into good versus evil. And, you know, of course, that's a man-made construct by itself. But at any rate, these young men and many people before these guys came to a place in their life where they thought this was what they should do. And whether it was because of overt racism, like, you know, like the, the guy in, in New York or, you know, who, who came up from the Binghamton area to Buffalo to kill black people or whatever ends up being the considered the motivation or the motive for this young 18 year old kid in Uvalde, Texas to, to go, you know, first shoot his grandmother and then go into an elementary school and essentially kill or shoot everybody in the classroom. And, and look, before anybody starts trying to say, well, good guy with a gun, put, a, put an end to it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. This guy killed, shot everybody in the classroom. There was nobody left in the room for him, to, for him to shoot. So don't tell me that a good guy with a gun put an end to it. But anyway, don't, I don't want to get too sidetracked. But it, I come to this place because, that I start viewing these mass murders as a corollary or like, or like an analogy to this, to this short story that I read when I was in school, the lottery. I mean, these, these poor people, whether they were children, and I got to tell you, I'm a grandfather. I have nine grandkids, a 10th one on the way, nine grandkids. I have a, a grandson who will turn 10 years old this, this week. It's that age. So I have a grandson who's 18. So that's, that's the age of, of the shooters of these last two. So you can't help but pers personalize a little bit. Not just, you know, I'm not envisioning my son as a shooter, but I'm envisioning his classmates. And, and my grandson goes to a school, and, and it's not to condemn any of the kids that he goes to school with, but he goes to school in a very rural, somewhat redneckish you know, you know, part of Pennsylvania. I mean, it, I mean, look, obviously these kids who get radicalized enough, whether it's racially, you know, racially motivated or whatever, it can happen anywhere. But, you know, again, personalizing it, I'm thinking, you know, this is a kid that's my grandson's age. And now looking at Uvalde, Texas, I'm thinking this entire classroom were kids that are my other grandson's age. And, you know, and now, I mean, in, in fact, I was looking after my grand, grandkids today. And um, one of my grandsons, my older, older grandson, who's, who's 12, um, wanted to stay home after the other three of his siblings were going uh, someplace with his mother because he wanted to go do something at the school. Uh, some sort of family literacy uh, you know, program that they're doing. And, you know, all well-intended. But my, my daughter-in-law was, was nervous about it. And, and I'm listening to them go back and forth on the phone, and, and I had to tell my grandson, I said, look, you're not being very sensitive to what your mother must be going through. You know what took, just took place. You knew what just happened in Texas. You know what happened in Buffalo you know, a week and a half ago. You have to understand that although you want to do something right now, these events that happen, they make every mother and father, grandmother and grandfather, 
nervous as hell. And it, you know, so you know, I wasn't really giving my grandson hell for it, but I, but I was, I was trying to explain to him, you know, as frustrated as you might get with your mother being overly protective, these kinds of events, they, they, they make us over overprotective, you know, and and of course, so so what ends up being the solution to some of this stuff? I mean, we're going to turn schools into fortresses? I mean, look, schools already look an awful lot like a prison. Trust me, I know. I've been to both. <laughs> they already look a lot like prisons. And, of course, you know, most schools, and I don't know how this kid managed in, in Texas managed to get in, just walk into this, this school because most schools are really locked up pretty tightly right now. So, so what's the answer? To turn schools into fortresses with armed guards? More armed guards than they currently have? Armed the teachers? I mean, and, and what, not, and do the same for churches? Because that's where some of these mass shootings have taken place, in, in places of worship. Well, that's fine for schools and churches, but what about grocery stores? What about movie theaters? What about the park? I mean, bars, restaurants, any place where there's social activity. Look, there's there's these festivals that happen all the time. There's you know these these food festivals and there's music festivals and arts festivals and Renaissance festivals. There's all these things that happen that people come together for. You can't protect, you know, or like try to arm every everybody in these situations to to, to stop something from this, this happening. And of course, there still isn't a big effort to do anything about gun control. And you know, the the governor of Texas, you know, just recently signed a, signed a bill, you know, really affirming that you know that anybody could pick up a gun without training, pick up a pistol, carry it anywhere. I think a court in in California just upheld the right of an eighteen year old to you know to 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 buy uh, um, firearms, which is kind of what we say. look. You have to be twenty one to buy cigarettes in the United States. And of course, you have to be twenty-one to buy beer in the United States, but it, but you can be eighteen, to, you know, to buy an assault rifle. And of course, you eighteen years old, you can enlist in the armed forces, and they can train you to kill people. So, look, I mean, let's be honest here. These mass shootings are a part of American society, and. And it's not, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, just toughen up, there's nothing you can do about it. But I'm just saying that these things have been, you know, look, they're, they're on, the, the, um, on the rise. There's no question about that. But there's been stuff like this going on for, for quite a number of years. I mean, you know, they're, they're, you know there's always, look, there's a lot, of, a lot of these kinds of crimes against, you know, many people, serial killers, if you will, were never really listed in the same way that they are now. But I have to state one of the things that uh, one of the obvious things, and I mentioned it on, on the show last week, is that as soon as I heard about this uh, shooting in uh, in Buffalo, um, I knew that it was a white person. Now I know that's not a fair assessment and a, a fair um, uh, you know, assumption to make, but by and large, all mass shooters, serial killers, are are white people, and and with with a few exceptions, the the DC sniper. The um, the the guy who shot up the, the I think the the gay club um, 
And, and this one, this one in Texas, uh, it, it, it was a young uh, Hispanic, probably uh, uh, of Mexican uh, ancestry. Um, but these are the exception to the rules. <laughs> and of course, um, you know, I heard somebody say as soon as they, they, they learned that the, uh, the shooter was killed, they knew it wasn't a white person. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I, it, I was disturbed by the, by the ease with which the, the shooter in Buffalo was taken into custody and, and how unharmed he seemed to have been. Um, because in, in the wake of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, you know, I'm at Arbery. I mean, all these people. Well, no, not Arbery because we're talking about police here. Um, but you know, in the wake of these people who who die at the hands of police, who who didn't didn't kill anybody, um, it's it's frustrating to see a mass murderer who's white be treated with you know um, certainly more respect than than a, than a black uh, suspect is. Um, so, but I, I don't want to belabor that point. But this is this is it is frustrating because I mean nobody wants to accept that essentially life is a lottery. But geez, it's it's starting to feel like that. It's like so, you know, do you live your life and pretend this is never gonna happen? Or do you start changing something in your life so you do everything you can to prevent this from and what does that mean? What what does that look like? What does it look like to be a parent in, in, in my, my, my son and daughter-in-law's case, four children, you know, six to 12, four children. How do you protect them? Both parents working. So, I mean, how, how do you do that? I mean, look, there's a lot of people who are saying, look, I'm not even sending my kids to, to school anymore. I'll, I'll, I'll do homeschooling. And that's a great solution for some. You know, of course, there's there's a downside to it. I mean, some of the the social interaction, you know, you know, is is somewhat you know uh, minimized. You know, sports and you know, other co-curricular activities. So, you know, so I understand that that's that's somewhat you know problematic, but that doesn't solve the problem because it isn't just schools. You know, Buffalo, you know that. You know, Buffalo put that on display. Now, Buffalo didn't do it, but obviously somebody came to Buffalo and put that on display. So when, if you can't be safe, if there's really nothing you can do to mitigate um, the dangers of a, of a mass shooting, and there's nothing that the law is going to do to really curb you know, assault rifles or, you know, gun laws or, or anything else. I mean, what, what, is, what is the solution? I mean, is there, do we have to really accept this level of violence? Well, you know, and I've heard people say, well, this country has just gone to hell. No, no, let, let's, not, let's not try to pretend that this is just a recent thing. I mean, the United States was, burnt, was, was born of racism and violence. I mean, <laughs> again, Thomas Jefferson called us merciless Indian savages. Part of the reason that they that they pledged you know, their, their or they <laughs> they declared their independence independence and declared war against England 
was because they wanted to take more native land. I mean, it's written right in, in the, in the uh, Declaration of Independence. Part of their, one of their grievances, one of their facts submitted to a candid world, was the notion that the, that the King of England wasn't allowing them to, to expand their lands. Which means, that, you know, he was somewhat holding them back from taking native lands. So, I mean, this idea of slavery and the racism that, that you must have and all of the founding fathers that everybody wants to praise were, were slaveholders. So you must be, you know, steeped in, in systemic racism as uh, the, uh, these founding fathers were. And you must be prone to violence. I mean, and, and for those people who want to suggest that the Second Amendment was all about, you know, fighting tyranny and that kind of stuff, no, no. It's pretty clear that the reason that the, uh, the colonists were hell-bent on arming their citizenry was to fight off Native people who might be a little pissed about losing their land. So to kill Native people. And to do slave patrols, to, you know, to stop and, and to intimidate the, their, their, their enslaved people and to be armed so they can recapture them. That, those were two of the main reasons for, for the armed citizenry. I mean, did they really, I mean, once the, the whole, you know, war with England, you know, was, was done and, you know, after the war of 1812, it was pretty much done. What was the tyranny that they were, they were going to arm themselves against? Tyranny from within? This, this country was built on that tyranny and this aristocracy and the hierarchy. It was built on this notion of, of classism, racism, and violence. So, I mean, this is, here we, this is where we are. I mean, this, this is the, how the United States was designed. This isn't a a failure of, of an idea. This isn't a, a, you know, a mistake in the, in the U.S. Constitution or the Bill of Rights. No, this is the design. It is designed to, you know, to promote a violent society. And is it getting worse? I don't know. I, you know, look, I don't know. I mean, because it depends on your perspective, I guess. I think if you're if you're a black person or a native person and you know the violence that your ancestors experienced between racism and Jim Crow, residential schools, slaughters, massacres, lynchings, hangings, I don't know that this is worse than it's ever been. It's just more of the same. You know, look at changes. I, you know, I think what everybody has to ask themselves is, what are they willing to tolerate? And what are they willing to, to fight against? Because for the most part, there is a level of racism that people are just complicit with. And I'm not just talking about, you know, you know funny racist jokes. There is a certain level of complicity that goes with the, well, with violence. I mean, even these mass shootings, immediately you had the right saying, oh, this is a false flag operation that they're, uh, this is an attempt to, for them to take your guns. So this whole idea, you know, 
of all of the issues that will decide an election in the United States, they're going to put abortion and gun control at the top of the list. And, and not, you know, I mean, ending abortion and fighting any gun control. That's, that's, the, that's the rights position. And the left, eh, they don't really have a tough position, uh, take a tough position on anything. They're trying to get elected. So they're not going to speak out too harshly against, you know, against gun violence. I mean, they will, but they aren't really going to actively try to stop anything. I mean, look, Joe Biden, when he ran for, uh, for when he was running for president, said, you know, first day he was going to, you know, um, change, you know, p- police regulations. In the wake of George Floyd, first day, well, that didn't happen. There was no police reform. There still isn't any police reform. Yeah, he signs an executive order, which means nothing. You know, I hear Kathy Hochul, governor of, of New York, out there, you know, saying well, how she's going to, what, raise the age limit for buying an assault rifle to 21? Well, I mean, it's easy to say, well, these guys were 18 years old. And they shouldn't have been able to get one at 18. And, I, and I'm, I'm one of the ones saying that. But you know what? If they buy it when they're 21 instead of they're 18, does that, mean, does that stop them? I mean, does it? Schools are under-resourced. Communities are not communities anymore. We just happen to live together. I mean, look, I, I live on a native territory, and I don't even think our strong sense of community is what it should be. And where does our community fit within the community around us? I mean, we have better relationships, relations with the, with the non-native public than we used to, mostly because we have businesses now. People come, come to our territory. I mean, it used to be people were, were terrified to come out. Oh, you don't go on the res. You don't know what they'll do to you there. Well, now it's like, well, you go to the res, you can get cheap gas, you can get cheap cigarettes, you can buy weed. <laughs> legally. I mean, <laughs> you can legally go to the res and buy, you know, uh, any, any kind of cannabis product. So now it's not, there isn't that taboo associated with coming to our territory. So our relationship is a little better with, with some of the public out there, but not all of it. Look, if you look at the rural parts of, of New York State and any place in, in the United States, you're going to see strong, strong right-wing fanaticism. Look, there are Trump-1 flags flying all around New York State. There are, you know, F Joe Biden flags flying. There's, you know, you know, they got Trump, you know, 2020, 2024, 2016, 2020, 2024. They've got Trump flags all over the place. And they got rebel flags flying. And they've got Nazi flags flying. Yes, in New York State. And these areas are closer to where, where I live than, you know, maybe New York City you don't think you have that, you know, or some of the more the cities that have a stronger um, liberal view of the world, I guess. But that liberal view of the world ain't getting it done either, folks. Look, I don't want to suggest that, you know, everybody's number is in the lottery bin and it's just about, you know, whether your number is pulled you know, when you walk into that tops or you drop your child off to, to elementary school. But 
maybe that is what the situation is. I mean, I, I know it sounds terrible and, and again, helpless to say that it's just a matter of fact. I mean, look, I, I think one of the first things I heard out of, you know, um, uh, the governor of Texas, well, oh, there are more people shot in a weekend uh, in Chicago than who were, you know, they were killed in the school. You're going to make that comparison, a mass murder in a school to the gun violence in Chicago? I, and Look, I'm not suggesting that gun violence in Chicago is a good thing. But, I mean, if, I mean, you know, my, my buddy, Ed Schindler, who used to do so much of the show with me, he used to always say, be careful what, when people say, well, at least. When they, when they say, well, at least it's not this. I mean, you know you're coming up with a real weak excuse for the way things are. So when you, when you look at your circumstances, well, at least it's not Chicago. Really? You're going to compare a little town in Texas to uh, you know, this kind of massive you know, atrocity? And you're going to say, well, at least it's not Chicago. Really? At least it's not Chicago? Look, you know, Buffalo's got a lot of gun violence, you know, for a small city. But there's no question that what took place, you know, a couple of Saturdays ago was um, just knocked us. It knocked us all for a loop. And, and I don't live in Buffalo. I live on the Cattaraugus Territory, the Seneca Nation, which is about, you know, 30 minutes from Buffalo. I, I know the area. I, I, I know Buffalo, the city. Um, and there are a lot of, you know, native people, Senecas, Tuscaroras, there's a lot of native people who live in Buffalo. There's, there's even a magnet school in, in uh, in, you know, native, native American magnet school in Buffalo. I think it's still considered a native American magnet school. I've, I've spoken there before. Um, so no, this was, this really took us, I mean, it, it always takes you by surprise, even though you know that these are ha- these things are happening all over the country. Sandy Hook, I mean, it, you know, um, yeah, it, I mean, this can happen anywhere. Las Vegas, go to a go to a, a country, you know, music concert in Las Vegas, and some guy from a hotel room starts plowing people down. You know, so you go to your place of worship, you go to your grocery store, wherever. You know, and this has been going on for a long time, you know, and, you know, to, to suggest that this is a recent phenomenon, you know, and, and again, I know there's always going to be a big effort to figure out what, what, what was the, what's the motive. And you know what, whatever the motive is, and it can be different each time, right? I mean, some people just kill for the sake of killing. There's no, not some sort of social statement. It's not even terrorism. Because terrorism is about killing and creating fear to to you know to promote an agenda. Oh, so you can talk about the you know the Boston Marathon bombing, uh, you know, as an act of terrorism, and 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 that's a, another mass killing. You know, Timothy McVeigh in Oklahoma City. I mean, you can, I mean, yeah, it isn't just guns, folks. I, you know, I I said to, uh, to somebody today that if if there was a way to extend uh, the Second Amendment to bombs or grenades, then you know maybe guns would be become more obsolete. Obviously, you know there's, there's a lot of ways to create explosives and and fire and you know you know bombs, I guess. But still, the most efficient way to to kill a bunch of people is to is you know is to have a bunch of you know automatic weapons. 
and, and clips filled with bullets so you can go in and just rattle off a bunch of shots. If there were a more effective way to do it for the average, you know, would-be mass murderer, they'll do it. And in a few instances, they have. So, again, I, I don't have any answers here. I'm as frustrated. I, mean, I open up the, the show every, each week with Res Blues. I'm, it's not just Res Blues. We're all feeling down. We're all frustrated. We're all angry. But I think about, you know, a short story written in 1948. I mean, I'm, I'm born in 1959. This is, you know, this is over a decade before I was even born. This idea of a society accepting this kind of societal death. I mean, and when this story was published, it, um, it, um, there was a lot of backlash. I think, uh, I don't know if it was in the New Yorker or wherever it was published, but there was a lot of backlash. People canceled their subscription. There were certain you know, countries that banned it, banned this short story from even being you know, published in their, or, or sold off in, the, in, their, in their country. I mean, because this notion that they could tell a story this way, you know, it, it almost belies the fact that these kinds of mass murders were, were, were always a part of American society. And this story is told, you know, as, you know, as like some quaint little, you know, three, four hundred, you know, person town. And, and everybody, everybody gets to participate in stoning the person. Well, I'm sorry, but everybody gets to participate in keeping guns on the street. Everybody gets to participate in protecting gun rights. Everybody gets to do that. So, you know, to some extent, doesn't all society have some of the blame? I mean, it's easy to you know point to the politicians, but but you vote for these people or you don't. Uh, what, at what point do people start shooting up gun stores? I uh, in in Bowling for Columbine, I mean, there was a, a a lot of pressure that got put on Walmart, you know, during and watching that documentary. Uh, and and I'm not a big huge uh, Michael Moore fan, but um, the fact that 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 Walmart stopped carrying um, the, the 223 ammo in their stores, I mean, look, you, I I'm pretty sure you can still buy guns in Walmart. Certain in certain states, anyway. But I mean, this there was a lot of pressure put, but not not enough. To, I mean, none of the places that are directly connected to the violence are ever the victims of the violence. I mean, except for maybe the shooter, you know, is oftentimes you know taken, um, you know, whether whether he is you know killed or killed himself or whatever else. But but the gun manufacturer nobody ever nobody ever shot up a gun you know a gun store or a gun manufacturer you know I, I when i hear people with this level of frustration and this level of anger it still never reaches that level of anger that an 18 year old kid with a permission to buy a, an ar15 gets and i'm not saying the answer to this is is just redirecting the violence towards someplace else. I'm not I'm not offering any answers here. I'm just offering observations. And and it is frustrating. You know, because look, my work, the work that I do is advocating 
uh, against the racism that Native people experience. And advocating, you know, the, the spread of awareness. I mean, you know, my, my friend, uh, you know, who does uh, UNFDR, UNF, the, the Republic, um, I was exchanging some, you know, some uh, text messages back and forth, and I was talking about the residential schools and, uh, you know, how frustrating it is because, you know, this isn't, this isn't just about the violence that Native kids experience. It's about what we experience as a people. And he said, well, look, most of my public, my non-Native public, they don't even know that residential schools existed. He goes, so I'm starting at a completely different place in the, in the narrative. And, and I get that. But, I mean, when do you get to the substance is, is kind of my point. When, when do you get to, 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 the, to the meat of that conversation? Yeah, it's, if you're trying to capture some, somebody's attention, it's kind of like this, this shooting in Uvalde. Yeah, the atrocity. I mean, the, the pure magnitude of the, of, of the carnage, you know, that was inflicted upon children. Well, so so you have to, I mean, you know, after the Parkland shooting, you know, some of those students really spoke and they spoke out and became advocates and, and they became activists. And so you have to use these events and, and, and as, as terrible as that sounds to, you know, to promote your message. So in order to talk about residential schools, we got to talk about the, the fact that Native children were killed. And they were buried in unmarked graves. But some of that belies what, what Native people experience as a people. The largest period of land loss we ever experienced. The loss of our identity, our autonomy, our sovereignty. Nobody's talking about returning any of that. Oh, they're going to come up with some numbers. And, they're gonna, and, and trust me, the numbers are going to be far short of the real numbers of children who died in these schools. But it's not just about children who died. It isn't just about children who were tortured and who were harmed physically and psychologically, molested sexually, sterilized. All of that. It's, it isn't just about that. Those are important discussions, but it's only half of the discussion because all of those things happened because of a U.S. policy that was racist, that was geared towards eliminating us as a people, committing genocide. I mean, how do you, so where do you put these kind of mass murders? If it's race-based like in Buffalo or, or, or if it's still unknown what the, what the motive is in Uvalde, Texas, is it genocide? Or, you know, or is it, I mean, and if, you, if you're gonna talk about it being racism, that's not the only way racism manifests itself. If it's, you know, anti-bullying, then, then how are we not addressing bullying better? How are we not addressing mental health issues better? In a country like the United States that is plagued so heavily, the most medicated country in the world with its citizenry because of mental health issues. And, and look, and I'm not condemning that. I, I have a lot of people who are friends and family who, who you know, take some of, the, of those medications to, to deal with mental health issues. And yet, nobody can identify you know, a, a child who's on the verge of committing mass murder. We got all these algorithms on Facebook 
and I and I mentioned uh, you know on the on the show already that when somebody threatened to scalp me, you know, uh, from the little town that I'm really trying to rid of their their native mascot, and that got reported to Facebook. Facebook says, "Oh, um, we didn't find that his comment violated our community standards." So. Asking permission to scalp, which is to essentially murder somebody online, on your media, on your social media platform, doesn't violate your, your community standards, really? And then you wonder when that stuff is allowed and you know, laughed at, perhaps, joked. I mean, because look, where does, where does racism start? Does it start with mass murders and, and KKK robes? No. That might be the extreme example of it. But whatever motivates somebody to get to the place where they're pulling the trigger, killing innocent children or, or, or men, women, children, whatever, there was a whole lot that went wrong before you got there. there. There was a whole lot of bigotry, a whole lot of hate. And it didn't even start with hate. It started with, with something that was just Probably something that was a little uncomfortable. Something that was offensive. But we can't even have a conversation about what is truly offensive. In fact, when, when I'm fighting this, this, this mascot issue places, somebody says, well, it's, you know, it's your fault that you're offended. It wasn't meant to be offended, so it's not offensive. So somebody else can... can, can you know, do an action, to, to, can take an action, and they are the ones who get to decide whether what they're doing is offensive or not? So if I punch you, I get to tell you to decide whether it hurts or not? I mean, this is where, this is where we're at. And look, I know, I'm, I'm sorry that, th that this show this week is not a little bit more informative. But I'm, you know, so I, I am truly sorry for that. But I'm as frustrated as, ever, as anybody else. I'm as angry as anybody else. You know, you raise your kids and you find that your kids are still in danger, even as adults, because they, they still go to Tops. They still go to the movie theater. And then you have grandkids and you find that you've got a whole other generation. You have more grandkids than you do kids. So you find that your, your, your family's even more vulnerable. So the older I get, the more family that I worry about. And I know that we're victims of racism. I know that we're victims of, uh, of some of the societal wrongs that exist. But you don't even have to be a victim of any of these, the, these systemic racism, the systemic violence. Because it can be so arbitrary. You can lose the lottery. It could be you chosen in this life and death, lot, life and death lottery. I don't know. Maybe and Look, I didn't reread the, the short story. I thought about it on my way to the studio today. Um, and thought, the, you know, but, but, but again, look it up. It's called The Lottery by, by Shirley Jackson. And, you know, maybe it's time to reread the story. And, you know, I remember how uncomfortable it was 
when we read this in, in, in class. I mean, this was kind of a reading out in, in class, reading aloud kind of thing. I don't even think it was a homework assignment. Maybe it was. But I remember how uncomfortable it was. And you know, but I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember us having the discussion about what it meant in the current society. I mean, I, gra I graduated in the 70s. I don't remember reading the story and then trying to adapt it other than the, the discomfort. I don't remember trying to adapt it to our lives at the time. <laughs> but 40 years later, 50 years later, I'm recalling the story because of these mass murders. You know, there's, there's, you can't make sense of this stuff. But, you know, I think about the story. There, there, was, there was never really, as I recall it, again, I didn't read it before doing the show today. I should have. I don't recall there being any real good explanation on why they did it, why they did the lottery. But I knew there was some excitement associated with it, and there was some, you know, trepidation associated with it. And you know what? You watch the, you know, the, the media circus associated with these mass killings. I mean, right away, you, I think you got the governor of Texas and, uh, you know, and Ted Cruz. I think they said they were both speaking at an NRA convention along with Donald Trump. This week, the same week as, as this, this shooting in Texas. They don't even have the decency to say, you know what? I'm going to pass on the NRA convention. And because if they do, then it sounds, you know, they, they give the appearance to their base that they, you know, are going to concede or capitulate on, you know, on, on, on gun control issues. So, and, and these guys won't do that. And, and in fact, there's, 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 you know, a bunch of Democrats that won't. It isn't just the right. <sighs> so here we are. You know, the, these kids were in their last days of school, folks. Their last days of school. They didn't even really need to be there. You know, once you get in that last week of school, you know, you know a lot. Of, it's all fun and games, right? You know, you're getting your awards. I saw one picture of a little girl who, who made some sort of honor roll in her fourth grade class and she's dead and both her teachers are dead. Both the teachers who signed that certificate were, are dead. And you know, it's easy to blame this on, on an 18 year old kid, but we're not accepting, we're not accepting the lottery that we won't, look, we won't get rid of it. We won't abolish this kind of violence because we're so afraid that to do it means that we have to take, we have to lose a right. We have to lose a freedom. That's second amendment. We're so afraid to lose that freedom. And, and it's ironic because you've got the right, you know, that's always saying, oh, oh yeah, right to life. We're, we're anti-abortion. We're, you know, we're pro-life. But how can you be pro-life and be pro-gun? especially these guns, and, and let's be clear, 
An AR-15 is not a hunting rifle, and I know I'm stating the obvious. It is a militarized gun. It's an assault rifle. It's designed to kill people. These guns are designed to kill people. And this whole idea that people can carry a concealed firearm, a pistol, for their personal protection, if you look at the math, I mean, if you look at the math, how many people actually use the gun to protect themselves versus how many people will find that gun, um, you took the, the life of a loved one, whether through suicide or, or an accident, or the gun gets you know, stolen and, you know, and then it is, gets used in a nefarious way. I mean, the, the likelihood that your purchase of a firearm is going to protect you you just increase the likelihood that you're going to die by that very firearm. I mean, that's just the math. That's just the, the, the statistics of it all. So here we are. I mean, essentially, we refuse to abolish the lottery. We, we refuse to, to acknowledge that we have created this violence in the societies. And look... I, it doesn't, it's, this doesn't usually happen in Native territories, although there was one. There, there was one kid. Um, geez, I can't remember. I'm, I'm, I almost remember the name of the place, too. I remember this kid. He committed mass murder. Native kid. So, yeah, we've had, a, we've had it happen, too. It's not very often. Like I said, nine times out of ten, it's going to be a white guy who does it. But, look, we don't live in a vacuum. The, you know, this, this idea of, of killing a bunch of people is, is not, you know, nobody's got a monopoly on that. You know, especially when you, when you understand that the world we live in is such a violent place because of, because of military conflicts, where people are trained every single day to kill people. Mariupol, what, what, what I hear, they, they found 200 bodies in, in, the, in the basement of a building. In, in the Ukraine? Why would there be 200 bodies in the basement of, you know, of a building? They were put there, or they were, or they were slaughtered there. They were murdered there. This isn't war. This is just killing. Well, well, that's what war is. So we live in a violent world, and, and we see it on television every single day. Our movies are violent. Our reading is violent. Our, uh, some of our music is violent. And, you know, and I'm not criticizing the, the music that calls this stuff out. In fact, you know, I, I think there's been more to, m many social movements are tied to the, you know, to music and art. But I don't know if there's enough condemning the violence, folks. I mean, you, if you're going to say stop the hate, hate has no home here. Well, but what does have a home here? Because if you're, gonna, if you're not going to recognize racism until it's hate, until it's hatred and violence, you waited too long. If you're not going to recognize mental health issues until there's an act of violence associated with it, you waited too long. There is no active program to deprogram veterans. Whether they actually saw you know, action, you know, violent action in a, in a war conflict or a, a, 
a, you know, a combat situ situation or not. They were taught to kill. Well, how do you, I mean, I, I know we can, we can all assume, yeah, but they always know that, that you know, killing is the enemy and, and at home that's not the, the enemy. I don't know that it's that clear. I mean, and I'm not just talking about the guy who, you know, who's got, you know, 30 kills under his belt and then comes home and doesn't know what to do with himself. I mean, you know, part of the thing is, you know, if you're trained to kill somebody and you never do get to do it, and yet that was your training, that might be as frustrating to somebody who returns to, you know, uh, civil society as somebody who, who had committed some of those, those atrocities. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I realize that, that this program today is me just sounding off and, you know, voicing my frustration. And, you know, and I try not to do shows like this. But I'll tell you, after Buffalo and Uvalde, I, I can't help it. I'm with, I'm with so many of you in my grief, my anger, and my frustration. Look, I know that I spend this, I mean, this program, I, I try to talk about the native experience and the native view. But I, there, I don't think, think there's anything unique about my view on some of this stuff. You know, I don't think there's anything that's uniquely native about my view on this stuff. As much as I'm all about trying to assert our distinction, our autonomy, and by distinction, you know, look, uh, you know, I, I said it the, here just the other day, I said, you know, I don't know how many native people when they talk about the United States or Canada, they, they refer to it as us or, or we. I don't. I mean, I still talk about the United States as them. There's us and them. There's native people and then there's the United States. So I look at, you know, Deb Hallen as part of them, not a part of us. You know, I, I look at some of these, these, you know, these band council chiefs on the Canadian side as them, not us. And maybe that's a bad thing to do. I, you know, look, I'm not promoting violence against them. In fact, for me, the reason for drawing that distinction is to also say, look, if you're part of them and you want to do something for us, then you have to recognize who you're working for. And yeah, that's you, Deb Hallen. But in this situation, in, in these acts of, of sheer violence that we saw in Buffalo and in, in, in Buffalo, New York and Uvalde, Texas. I don't have anything terribly prophetic to offer or insightful from a native perspective. These, these are just terrible, you know, and, and I share in your frustration and your grief, not as a liberal or a progressive or a conservative, none of, none of that stuff. Look, uh, I think there's room to, to blame politics all the way around on this thing. And, you know, and look, you know, there's sometimes you want to blame the parents. They want to blame schools. They want to blame, you know, perhaps your church or whatever your civic, your, your, your social group is. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But I know one thing. It's one thing to say hate has no place here. But you, if we flip it, what we've got to say is we've got to care more. 
It isn't just about stopping the hate. It's about starting the caring. And I know that sounds all warm and fuzzy and that kind of stuff. But you've got to care, folks. Look, I have people that I consider to be adversaries, but I don't hate them. And I actually care about them. And I don't dislike white people. I mean, there's plenty of white people that I, that I care deeply about in, in my life. I care. And even people I don't necessarily like, I still care enough to not want them to, to, to suffer harm. Well, folks, that's about all I got for this week. And, and again, I apologize for not, you know, presenting a specific topic to talk about. Um, you know, hopefully we, we do better. We do better. Maybe these stations that we're on you know, can be a part of that doing better. If you're listening to WB, WBAI, please support the station. That's 212-209-2950. 212-209-2950. If you're listening in Washington, D.C. on WPFW, their pledge line is 202-588-9739. When you're asking yourself, what can I do? This is one of the things you can do. And there's a lot that people can do. Nothing we can do is going to put an end to this violence. Nothing any individual can do. We have to do something at a, at a much bigger scale. But, you know, perhaps having a few conversations and, and encouraging people to not only have conversations, but to care. Maybe that's one of the steps. And I guess that's all I've got to offer here is to, is to care more. Sure, hate less, but care more. I'm John Keane, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.